Thank you very much for joining us today um, for the panel discussion on exploring um, trauma through art. Um, with me, I have M Molly Gehring and Terry Lloyd. Uh, we'll begin um, by introducing yourself. So uh, Terry, we'll start off with you. If you can give us an introduction to yourself and then Molly, um, we'll move on to you, please, thank you. Okay, I'm Terry Lloyd. I am a visual and performance artist. Um, the scope of my work ranges from traditional arts into digital art um, and video. And um, recently I rebirthed my ability to tell stories through video. And so um, I live in Los Angeles. I have a large bird, a cat and a husband. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much, Terry, for the introduction. Um, Molly, if you could please tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, hi. Uh, my name is Molly Gearing. I am a visual artist centered in uh, Pennsylvania in the United States. And uh, my work is a lot of mixed media, painting, traditional painting. I do some sculpture and fiber arts, particularly. And I explore a lot of things that particularly um, relate to me, given that follow my life story either through different uh, mental health issues or from my physical health. Um, I also do a lot with um, color. I'm very interested in color. And so it's whether it's abstraction or figurative, I like to explore it all. So I uh, thank you so much for having me. Brilliant. Wonderful to have you both on board. So we'll dive right in. Our topic is exploring trauma through art. Um, so we'll sort of begin with asking um, initially, you know, what you think trauma is and what are your experiences of trauma and how are they expressed through your artwork? Terry, we'll start with you, please. Okay. Um, my understanding of trauma comes through um, Dr. Gabor Mate, and he describes trauma not necessarily as what happens to you, but what happens inside of you as a result. And um, I really resonate with that because I've carried a lot of trauma throughout my life or the inability to express this trauma throughout my life. And I would say that my experiences come from a dysfunctional childhood, abusive parent, having had a, an abusive partner when I was younger, um, and also being subjected to actual gang violence. I was a victim of gang violence at one point in my life, and um, which was very frightening. And it seems to me that as I was taking, jotting down notes um, to this question, it, it, I recognize that dysfunction seems to be a thread along the path of trauma. And um, such as if we don't get to actually learn to express and deal with what has happened, we continue to cycle through events or relationships or situations that trigger even more trauma. So that was my observation. Thank you, Terry, for being so incredibly brave open and vulnerable to sharing that with us um, and, you know, to sort of having the courage now to express that. Thank you. Um, Molly, what about yourself, please? 
Well, I really appreciate what Terry said about trauma being not necessarily the thing that happened, but your reaction to it. And I think that trauma is just something, I think a lot of it is unconscious. Um, for whatever reason, your brain decides that something is a threat or something that happened was, of it. and it could be, um, you know, very big things. Like for me, I had um, a very bad anxiety disorder at one point and um, I ended up hospitalized for it when I was 15. And that was, that was the trauma in and of itself, not only having the thing, but um, getting the help that I needed too, because it was a very, I was taken and put into a very strange situation. Uh, but I think that um, it can also be something as benign as like when I was a very small child, I caught a uh, stomach flu bug thing running around. I know it's not technically a flu, but um, and that made me horrified and phobic of ever getting another one. So I think it's just how it's when the brain takes something that happens and has trouble moving through it and getting to the other side. So um, that's what I think is, for me at least, the definition of trauma. It's just what moved through, like Terry said. Thank you both for sharing those insights. Um, you know, you've got varying perspectives, um, but this um, sense of, you know, uh, human reaction seems to be coming through, a sense of experiences being lived and gone through and sort of the inner in in response from within ourselves and how we're reacting. Um, I wanted to ask, um, you know, in terms of it sort of relating to the creative process, whether it's something that we've gone through childhood or as an adult um, or, you know, sort of, or maybe are going through, does trauma, do you feel, does it ever kind of, maybe hinder the creative process. I sometimes think, you know, well, what if that didn't happen? Would I have been a better, not a better artist, but would would I have been more of myself, more of a creative person? Would I have been able to express myself more creatively as I could be able to, um, rather than, you know, as opposed to not? So do you think that trauma can ever hinder the creative process, Terry? I think it can hinder the creative process, specifically as we're still working out the language or developing the tools to express what it is that we're either stuck on or, or, or can't yet formulate. You know, I really think that through creative process, at least for myself, that sometimes I have to wait a while for language, whether that vocabulary, so to speak, um, whether it's through color or um, the content of what I'm, you know, painting or expressing, I'm, you know, waiting for that language to be, to develop, to, to find words or, you know, find whatever it is that we need to say to give voice to that, that agreement, so to speak, of silence that trauma imposes upon us. Um. Do you know, it's really interesting that you mentioned the word silence in that process, Terry, um, because sometimes that is a part of the tra trauma, that sort of um, kind of difficulty of vocalizing it and then having the privilege to speak up about it and then, you know, putting a stop to it, um, as is the case, because all trauma at some point does stop, as it should. 
Um, and then, you know, we begin the process of healing and sort of, you know, sharing our experiences and sort of moving forward on, on from that. Molly, do you ever feel that um, trauma uh, hinders a creative process for yourself? Uh, without a doubt, absolutely. I think that um, for me, it's a double-edged sword. It informs what I do, but it also really, there are some days where I can't even look at what I want to paint or even begin to handle, you know, putting what I feel down on a canvas or on paper, just because I think that um, it's, some days it's a bigger part of my brain than others. Like it's, you know, it's almost like a balloon that someone blows air into sometimes and it takes up so much room, but then other times it just kind of, they let the air out and it becomes smaller and more uh, manageable, less of a, you know, big part of my brain. So I think that, um, and I imagine it's pretty well documented. I believe that um, through artists, uh, Vincent van Gogh, I know had a lot of problems with his mental health and issues with that. But um, when he made a lot of his work, it was when he was in a good mental space and it was when he was, you know, being taken care of. And that's when he made, you know, Starry Night and everything like that. So I think that it's, I don't know for certain, but I imagine it's a, you know, very common pattern throughout history with artists that whatever's going on in their personal lives, it just keeps you from your work. It keeps you from expressing yourself the way that you would like. So, and I'm, you know, not excluded from that group. <laughs> I definitely have my days that it just does not work. You know, the artist Maggie Hambling, who I think is absolutely magnificent and um, and edgy, even in her old age, had a mentor. Um, this goes back to a conversation that she had had um, regarding her practice and her traumas. And um, she had a mentor that said, just take it all to the studio. And, um, and that's where you, you know, throw it and deal with it, you know, because that's your sacred space to work through. And for me, that really struck home. And so, you know, I go out to my little studio and that's my happy place because that's where I get to hash it out and really explore deep into, you know, what it is I'm trying to express through this creative language, you know, and I, I think we all carry a little bit of trauma with us. And so for I think for us being creative people, you know, having that ability to express is 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 key to our well-being. You know, it's interesting. I also um I read a book um called My Name is Asher Lev, and it's about a young man who um comes from an ultra-Orthodox Jewish community in New York, and uh he becomes an artist and the different issues with that. But his um mentor was a um his family was involved uh they were persecuted in the holocaust and he lost a lot of people in his life and there's a part of the book that really struck me and that i really related to in that uh this you know his mentor was brilliant he was this fantastic sculptor creator and there was a whole week for whatever reason where um asher he couldn't get in contact with him or anything and it was just this man he was going through and kind of dealing with his trauma that had happened through everything in his life, through the loss, through the pain. And he couldn't go into a studio and create anything. Or he was just destroying things. He was absolutely, and they're like, we can't talk to him for a week. So it's kind of, it's interesting how for a lot of people, you go into your studio, like for you, you go into your studio and that is where 
you put it down. And I think that's excellent. But I also think that it's interesting to see that there are people who just for whatever reason, that's just not where they can put it down. Or sometimes you just can't put it down and you just have well, sometimes, to move through. Right. Sometimes you have to sit and be with it. I had gone through something during the pandemic that um, really rocked my world. It shook me to my core. And there was, I, you know, I pulled everybody around me. I need to go sit down. And it was a very uh, Buddhist thing of me to do. Yes. <laughs> I'm a big follower of Zen Buddhism. But I knew I had to go sit still and just be with it and process. And I didn't do social social media. I didn't answer the phone, no emails, no texts, nothing. I just, mm-hmm. to, to the outside world, it was as if I had shut down. But what I needed to do was see with it, you know, and process. And And so I can really appreciate you know this this author's work and or this creative person's needing to just not go in the studio because sometimes we do we have to just sit down and 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 process it you know there i i believe it's uh intricate i believe it's tied to the processing of grief you know that we have to go through the shock and the anger in in all of those steps and get to acceptance and then we can function again <laughs> if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I agree with both of you. And, you know, it's suffering. Nobody really escapes suffering. And, you know, um, as you both said and Molly said as well, you know, it affects both genders. Um, Trauma is not something that's um, something that only affects women. Um, It affects men as well. affects peoples of all faith or no faith, you know. Um, and I don't know what the statistics are or the percentages, you know, if it's something that's greater in, in women because of the emotional impact and the ability to, you know, in, in terms of the, the resonations with the, with, with the emotional intensity. But for certainly, you know, trauma is something that is um, across both genders. Um, and it's something unfortunate. That the human population has to go through, uh, but it, it's it's a reality, you know. If we look at what's happening around the world, if you put on the news, um, even in your day to day life, you know, you'll come across people. Um, and I and I think what's beautiful in humanity is that we try, we try to overcome, and we try to be there for others as well. And I think that way. Um, that kind of unites us as humans and that shows through our humanity more and more. And step by step, I think we begin to overcome um, the the trauma. Um, Now, relating to that and, you know, moreover, artists, you know, they have a certain way of expressing what they're saying. So I want to ask you, Terry, what is your hidden language? as an artist? I love this question so much. Um, You know, and I would have to say the hidden language, at least from what dear friends of mine have told me, is humor. And once you learn to see my humor through my work, you can't unsee it. And um, so there's that layer of of humor, but you know, I think humor sometimes is is a tool that we use to get through trauma. 
because underneath the humor, there is a little bit of darkness and strangeness to some of the things I do. Um, you know, I, I too use vibrant, I, I love color and I use a lot of vibrant colors and various palettes, but I use that to set that tone because, you know, I think, I think underneath the laughter, there's always a little bit of that ache or pain or a sense of loneliness or, or, or not loneliness, maybe just aloneness, like, you know, not quite fitting in. And I think that that's the undercurrent to a lot of what I do. Um, so I really like that you touched on the idea of aloneness versus loneliness, because I do think that both with trauma and with art, it can be very othering. It can make you um, just not connected in certain ways to the people around you. I think that because they don't have the same experiences, they don't have the same way of thinking about things. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to always be alone versus lonely, but um, there are places where that intersects. And I think that that is um, really, you know, difficult to uh, consider and to really work with sometimes because um, I think that everyone needs community. But um, for me, my, and for me, the, my art is how I reach out to people and try to find people who maybe have similar things. But it's also, I prefer sometimes to be a bit more subtle about it. I use my really bright colors because I love them, because I think they're great, but also because I use them because I want to be aggressive. And I do things that are um, distorted or a bit more surreal a lot of times because I can't, um, it's hard for me to express the feeling, but I know that it's strong and it's present. And I want that to come through with all of my work. And I do things that are abstract, particularly my fiber works. I do a lot that are more abstract. And I am, um, it's a way of putting a name to a feeling or an experience, whether I feel comfortable about talking about directly or not. But I think that um, it's a good way, at least for me, it helps me get the feelings out like you know, Terry talked about taking it to the studio and laying it down there, but also it's a way to kind of um, have my own visual language and to connect to other people. Thank you, Molly and Terry, for your insights. You know, um, it's interesting some of the concepts that you touched upon the studio in terms of you know it being possibly a safe space to kind of explore and then go through that journey of healing uh, for ourselves and for others, you know, um, and that concept of aloneness, solitude. I think sometimes trauma can isolate us or maybe subconsciously we're isolating ourselves without realizing it. Um, I know certainly even within my art and personality at times because of the tra traumatic events one has sort of experienced over the lifetime, I have this pushing and pulling, <laughs> where I'll build walls around myself. There'll be times when I just will not let people get close to me. I will just completely, it it will just, and without realizing it, without meaning to do so, I will just build a wall. And it's just a case of, well, <laughs> I'm not going to communicate it, but you need to come and kind of make a door through this wall and and you know and I think even both of you understand even how understanding you've been through this panel discussion I think you know it, it it's this case of sort of having the understanding um 
which like Terry mentioned before, that sometimes you can't communicate, you know, you can't communicate what you've gone through in your trauma. You find it so difficult um, to kind of communicate. And in my artwork, I'd like to share, sometimes there's this duality. So sometimes where I feel like if I've been too vulnerable or I've kind of um, explored something and very openly in my artwork, then I've got to kind of have this kind of standoffish, you know, element to it. So there'll, there'll be this duality in the work, which I, it's like a self-protective mechanism. It's like, a, it's like a shell. It's like a shell to protect the soft core of vulnerability. And I think, um, you know, that comes with trauma because you kind of need to gauge and kind of pave way of who can I trust who is going to be there and who's going to provide that certainty. And I think that is something as an artist, you know, you, you kind of need that um, uh, as well. So um, kind of linking on to that, um, Terry, you know, I want to ask you, can you put trauma in a box or is it a more fluid concept? That's a really good question. Um, for me, I think it's fluid. I think um, having gone through several grief processes, losing a husband, losing parents, friends, a stepchild to suicide, um, I've learned that um, I think it's healthier to allow it to remain fluid. Um, I think initially with trauma, though, it's really easy to bring your world in and box yourself in and, you know, keep, keep, keep that world around you small, you know, for like you've mentioned, um, you know, you don't want to reveal this vulnerability or, you know, issues of trust and so forth. Um, but I really feel that as I've grown older and I am older, <laughs> Um, that it's better to to be fluid with it because as we process, things are going to come and go. It's um, kind of, you know, I'm moving my hands like waves on the ocean um, or or the tide of the ocean. But I think that as we process emotions, that's, that's how it works. Some days are going to be really good. Some days are not. And it's going to go back and forth a little bit with, you know, growth in between. So, uh, so for me, in 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 my work with trauma, it's fluid. Um, thank you, Terry. And you know, I'm very sorry to hear of the experiences you've gone through. You know, losing your stepchild, losing your husband. Um, these are big life events, and especially with what you've gone through in your childhood and adolescence, and now it's um, you know it. it these are major things that you've gone through and you're still here being open. I mean, I salute your courage and your compassion and your bravery and your vulnerability. Um, I think it takes a very special person like yourself to open up to the world and, you know, possibly somebody listening into this. You, you don't know how much you'd be helping them by sharing your journey. So very grateful for that. Um, Molly, what about yourself? I found it very interesting, Terry, that you kept mentioning about 
the waves and doing the wave hand motion because I thought about this question. I've been it's been on my mind for the past few days, and um, I've really been trying to think about, you know, is it something that we can kind of condense and put in a box? And I think yes, there is a box, but I think that it's made of mesh, like a sieve or like um, a kitchen colander even. And you put it in the ocean and the ocean is everything that happens to you. And the waves, like you say, they pass through and sometimes they're in the box. And that is trauma, and that is we're doing. And tide is high sometimes and you're, the box is full. But at the same time, sometimes it's, you know, lower tide or higher tide. But I, I don't know tides. I'm very sorry. But um, the one where the water goes back out and that's and it's lesser in there. But also there are choppy waves. And so things come up randomly at times so yes i think that the box of trauma is that you can it defines like you know it is a major life thing that um you are having trouble moving through emotionally but i think that it has this fluid nature of emotion and life and context that you can't put it in a solid like you know little shoe box that you can put up on a shelf in a closet so that's where i think the box sort of fits in so like is it a can you put it in a box like yeah, but there's <laughs> it's a very specific weird box. That's very interesting. Um, you know, to hear both of your perspectives, I'm very grateful. And thank you, Molly. You know, for the rephrasing of the question because it, it it came from yourself, and it's such a it's such a lovely question because it allows us to explore. Um, I think you know, I think with both of you, I I agree. Uh, but I think as being humans sometimes there is that fluidity because sometimes um, it could be that we've healed from our trauma or we're on that journey to kind of near completion of healing from our trauma and we meet somebody, um, you know, or we listen to someone's experience and that then we kind of gently guide each other through the trauma to kind of see what we can, how we can interlink and help another human to heal um, together. Um, so I think as just because we're humans, um, it kind of, you know, even if it resurfaces just by being there for each other and then kind of gently guiding ourselves and others through it, um, through that process of healing, um, it, it's just so important. So thank you both. Um, so moving on to the next question, Terry, are triggers indicative that trauma is still present or does it just simply mean that we're reacting as humans. I think, you know, I thought about this question. This was one of those that kind of made me stumble a little bit. Um, um, I think the answer to this lies in how we respond to the triggers. Because there's always going to be triggers, right? And um, I think things that would have triggered me many, many years ago in my twenties do not trigger me now, or they don't, they don't, they may trigger, but they don't generate the same response. So I think there's, um, there's a level of self-awareness that develops as we travel down the path of trauma and healing. And um, for me, it takes, a, it takes a lot to trigger me. Very little triggers me. I um because I understand what it was, you know, at that point in time, but I'm not there at, you know, 27. I'm now 63 and my perspective and my journey has changed and I've learned a lot more. My vocabulary emotionally 
has grown. So I'm able to to contextualize and um, and look at my response and say, okay, is it, should I be freaking out about this or not? <laughs> you know. So um, I think again, yeah, it, um, it it goes back to how we respond to the triggers. Thank you. Um, ab absolutely, you know. Um, thank you very much for sharing that perspective. Um, Molly, what about yourself? Um, I think that, so, you know, is it about, um, is it just a human response or is it because trauma is still present? And I think the answer is yes. I think it's both. I think that um, as humans, you know, there are, especially with trauma things, there are biological processes that happen a lot of times and we cannot control that. And I think, so I think that is the human element when something potentially triggers something, your brain kind of just will start releasing different chemicals. Your adrenals will start kicking up and you don't really know. Um, sometimes you don't even know why. But I also think that, um, I think that it, trauma is a thing that like kind of happens in how you're dealing with it. And I think that it can just still pop up randomly throughout your life like for whatever reason when I was um younger and when I first got my really bad anxiety I uh had a horrible time with a very like specific I've noticed a specific level of lighting and it's like it's very common like in winter or in like darker restaurants about a half light for whatever reason that just would send me into a full-on panic attack and it took me a long time to figure out what was going on because we go to you know you go to a restaurant and especially in the winter time when it's darker or earlier and I would just be you know in the bathroom having these like you know partial breakdowns and be like what is going on but um I found that over the years once I identified you know that that's a trigger or whatever and I can understand that I find that it still kind of does trigger me for whatever reason I think it's just because my body, um, you know, understands that still as a threat somehow. I think you have two experiences in your brain and like your that you understand and you can understand that, yes, this is trauma. This is a trigger. I'm OK. And tell yourself that you're safe. But sometimes your body just doesn't catch up as quickly. So I think that, um, you know, the trauma, I think that trauma is kind of always present, whether it's, you know, loud and right in the front of your mind or it's just something that you have gone through and hasn't you know, bothered you in a while necessarily. I think that it's always still there and it, you know, at times just pops up for whatever reason. Oh yeah. You know, um, that whole thing about the low, the low light, I cannot wear brown sunglasses. I cannot yeah. have brown lenses because once I get in a car and I'm wearing them, bam, I'm back in the panic and I have no idea why it's in the car. And with that, but you know, I have I've learned the tools like breathing, and um, and sometimes chanting very loud, <laughs> and, and then I laugh, and it's the laughter that releases it. But it's it, it is interesting that these things, you know, there's residual. I guess is what I'm saying, you know, and I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, it's it's not that it ever goes away. It's I think that we learn to live with it, and and learn the tools to manage our lives, not necessarily around it, but manage our lives because of it. One of the most uh, helpful things my therapist ever said to me, because talking about um, and being present, like you said, and, you know, doing the laughter and everything. And it goes back to you being in the car with the brown sunglasses is that think of you yourself as a car. Who is driving the car? Is it you or is it 
the anxiety or something and you can kind of you know shift gear that's about the only thing i know about cars is that you have a gear shift sometimes but that you can shift gear and get back into kind of oh no i'm here and you can do the things like the breathing and it can regulate and it can help you kind of you know drive forward exactly exactly um thank you both you know it's it's interesting because it's sometimes the small things um you know that might not be apparent to other people that we sort of kind of affect us in terms of the triggers and our response to it and I think it's just having that kind of understanding you know even preparing for this interview and um, thank you both for being so understanding but I had to put myself to sleep beforehand because I was overwhelmed because of the subject nature of the topic and um, and then you know my my phone battery died so the alarm didn't go off in time and then I checked the time difference and you know and that was kind of off as well but you both understood now you both were very understanding um, because I woke up in a panic <laughs> but I just had a few hours before I just literally had to I, I had I had to I just naturally just fell asleep because this is this is a topic maybe subconsciously I know is overwhelming for myself and I know that even if I'm not able to vocalize it I have gone through trauma in my life and my <laughs> body my mind my subconscious kind of knows okay this is how I need to heal her and this is what she needs so that understanding is so important and I think to anybody that's listening it's we don't know why people do certain things there's a good reason behind it, but just by having that understanding and that compassion can make such a world of difference. Like you both had this, I don't know if it's intuitive or instinctive understanding, but you kind of like, it's okay. And then we're able to kind of move together as humans, you know. I don't think trauma takes anything away from us, from who we are, because you'll still be that beautiful, resilient person, strong person. However, what it does is it just adds these layers to us. And sometimes, you know, those layers need understanding and everybody has layers, you know, everybody has different layers that they go through, uh, which actually leads on to my question, interestingly, uh, Terry, that are there layers of depth um, and, and meaningful depth, you know, when exploring trauma in arts? Yes, <laughs> that's the short answer. Yes, I think so. Um, my dad passed away in twenty late 2017, and it was a beautiful passage. And it took me about six months to process his being able to live a full life. He was well into his 80s. And... I decided I wanted to tell my story. Nobody was left to object to it in my artwork. My mother has been gone for many years. She passed away when I was 25 from cancer. And so um, I thought it was time. And I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. I eventually started going through the old family photos that had been gifted to me. And I thought, you know, there's a story here and I want to tell this story and I want to tell it through abstracting these photos into paintings. And 
as I started, I had this concept that I was just going to tell the story, but I had no idea that through this process, there would be a transition. And that transition would be me removing many, many layers, many years of um, sadness, anger, and so forth, and all of these different emotions. And eventually, at the end of this series of paintings that I had created, the story was told. And I had come to the place where I could look at the photos of my family, my parents, you know, the, the first great offenders in my life, um, with love and compassion, something that I had not been capable of doing. But I had to paint that away, painting by painting, layer by layer. And I got to that beautiful, sweet place where I could look at them and say they were human and they were flawed, just like me. <laughs> it was no longer um, a life sentence of this other stuff that I had actually matured. So, yeah, I do think there are layers to it. And it's up to us to choose what we want to do with those layers. I put a series of artworks together. <laughs> And um, I think I'm better for it. And, and you're still smiling, you know, incredibly brave, incredibly courageous. And and thank you, you know, for being a pillar of strength. Um, Molly, what about yourself, please? Oh, I love what um, Terry said about, especially at the end with the layers and what you choose to kind of represent. Because I think that I I feel like art, especially is a quest. It's kind of a thing that you are always searching. You are always, you know, developing and exploring. And I think particularly, it doesn't matter what you're doing. There's a part of you that will always be in it. And that is, you know, the things that you love, your trauma, this, that, um, you know, it's, you are in that too. And so I think that there are many layers, but, you know, you choose what to represent and how to represent it. And uh, because I know, like, I didn't tell most of the people I knew, it was pretty much only my immediate family about my hospitalization when I was 15, because I wasn't sure if it would be accepted. And it would just be a very difficult conversation to have. And I still haven't told a lot of them. So if you're listening to this now, sorry, family, it's not personal. It's a, it was definitely more of a not sure how to broach the subject. And also it's, um, I believe very much in this concept of um, privacy. There are some things you are not obligated to share, you know, your trauma, but um, it's, that does not mean that it's necessarily shame, but it's private. It's just, I would rather not talk about that. I'm okay with it, but I'd rather not talk about it versus, you know, um, because some things you just don't want to talk to other people about. I do think that art is a good outlet for that, where you can, especially with abstraction, you can really dig into things and it means something to you, but it doesn't necessarily um, touch exactly what it is. And I think people can sympathize with that not only as, you know, a beautiful, like if it looks technically beautiful or uh, very striking, but also I think that people may be able to pick up on some things subconsciously through that. But um, yeah, I think the layers is, um, it's very, you can do something very surface, you can do something very deep, and sometimes you do, you know, you're up and down with it. Absolutely. And uh, I just think it's so beautiful, you know, with both of you ladies, you know, one smiling and the other with such courage, you know, you're opening up now um, about certain things. And it, it it's true. It's, you know, whenever you're feeling comfortable, because you have um, 
the agency over your narrative. I think what happens sometimes is when a person is traumatized or when they're severely traumatized, the narrative gets misrepresented because they're not fully able to explain. Sometimes other people manipulate or they try to rewrite the narrative for you to portray you in a particular light. And that at times keeps you under the thumb. And sorry to say this so directly, but this is so important for people that have actually, and so important, especially for women who have experienced trauma, to have charge of their own narrative, to be able to say, this is what I went through, this is what it did to me, this is how I dealt with that, and this is how I'm dealing with that, but it hasn't detracted anything away from me, and this is what it, I know I can cope with this, and I know I can move forward in my life. And I am able to do these things. It makes me more of a human, not less of that. So that is incredibly important, I think, to have that, your own narrative. Because only you, only you know what you went through. And only you know how you're going to heal. And, you know, it doesn't stop anything in the future or in the present. Because you know the level that you're comfortable with and you know that what you are able to do and nobody else should be able to dictate that and sort of say no you know so and so is not able to kind of cope with this or they're not able to do that or they're less for doing no not at all I think it's so important to kind of have empowerment of our own narrative because misrepresentation can lead to further trauma without it even being realized, you know. Um, so moving on to that in terms of linking it to art, um, are quotes like, art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable, an accurate portrayal when looked in relation to trauma and art, Terry? Okay, so um, I'm going to put my cat down. <laughs> he came in to um, add to the discussion. Um, so I wrote an answer. And again, I'm going to deflect back to Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate, who discusses, as well as others, discuss the agreement of silence with certain types of trauma. I tend to think that this statement is a good one in relation to trauma and art. Um, we as artists are giving voice and breaking that agreement of silence. And um, for those of us who have experienced trauma or recognize it, um, I think this can be very comforting. Um, not necessarily the trauma itself that we're expressing in art, but the fact that it's being expressed, um, I think gives one comfort, you know, people can relate to it. Um, it's um, it's as if one is saying to the other, I see you and I acknowledge your experience. So I, I like this. I like this saying. And I like, um, yeah, I just like the saying. And I like to acknowledge, you know, I like being acknowledged. I, I guess it's where I'm going. That That's what this phrase means to me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Terry. Molly, what about yourself, please? Oh, Terry, you really, you really threw me for a loop there because 
I before I heard your answer, I really don't like this quote at all. I find it I find it very um I don't know, it's like someone trying to sound smarter than they are, at least in my opinion. But um, but I love what you said just about um how it really is acknowledging art can acknowledge people. I think that is so important. With a quote like this, I think that um it should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. I think that that kind of um I say it looks down on people who maybe do not have the same things like the human like it implies that a lot of people don't have death and that you have to be a certain kind of you know some certain kind of terrible thing has had to happen to you in order for someone to understand art for me personally art is a conversation there is the thing that I say through the art or an artist says through the art and then there is the reaction it's like a it's almost like you're speaking through time because I say something at one point and then you know whoever sees it maybe it's you know a year from now it's a hundred years from now hopefully people are looking at my art in a hundred years and they uh it's i've said something and then they say something back and maybe i never hear it but it's still kind of a conversation and um but i i like terry what you said about you know it acknowledging and that's not something that i had really considered about because art it's making things visible is very important particular things that are difficult to talk about and i think that makes artists and particularly um visual artists because it gives a real you can look right at it's right there staring you in the face and you can't um you can't ignore it you can't get away from it unless you physically remove yourself from the space and even then it kind of lives on in your brain and it makes you think about so um now i'm gonna have to think about my take on that quote now <laughs> i came in here ready to be like i'm gonna tear this apart but now Sorry. I really, you know, I have to consider it again. No, I'm so glad. Oh, there's life is nothing without being challenged. I really don't I, I don't agree. believe in having a life where nothing ever challenges you. I think it would be so boring. And I love that I get to, you know, wake up and learn new things every day. I think that's the whole point of being alive is love and learning. And uh so yeah, I'm gonna have to go back to this one and really think about it. <laughs> Oh, my work here is done. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. This is going to keep me up tonight. Thank you. Thank you, but I can I agree with you both. You know, Terry is really interesting. Art does reach out to people, and uh, Molly, I also agree with you. I don't like that quote very much either. I feel it's triggering in the sense as well. And and like you said, terrible things don't have to happen to you to have a sense of depth you know, um, and to be able to appreciate art, you know, it doesn't have to be this dark abyss, you know, uh, you can have death with having positive things. And, and you know, all three of us have had wonderful positive things in our lives as well. So, um, however, you know, it kind of saying it should disturb the comfortable, I mean, why does anybody need to be disturbed? You know, when I when I look at that quote, I think we don't need to disturb people, we need to heal people. And we need to heal together. Um, and 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 accept that it's okay. It's okay for it to be a journey of healing. Um, you know, I I think it would be a fallacy to say that somebody's a hundred percent healed because they're not a machine. They're not a robot. Uh, it's 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 not that they need fixing. It's for humans. You know, and sometimes when we're healing together, I think you can do wonders. You can do wonders for yourself, each other, and for the world as well. Um, so that's really interesting. So um, linking on to the world, actually, Terry, do you think culture, does culture impact how trauma is explored through art? 
Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. Um, I think culture influences the way we often, how do I want to put this without, I don't want to get political. Um, I think culture influences our perception of self as well as our perception of community and um and that's ever flowing you know it's uh what we reflect out and what we get back in return um comes through culture comes through community comes through family and so i think it does have an impact it because it because it's part of who or or, or what we are um it's, you know, in our perception of self and how we're supposed to navigate through life or through the world. And so I think culture does impact trauma. Um, there, are, there are people here in the United States who have experienced and are experiencing generational trauma, you know, such as with our indigenous peoples or with people of color. There's, you know, a very difficult history here in the United States with things like racism and such. And um, it affects, it affects, it affects how you operate. It really does. So, um, so, oh, I'm losing my words. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So it does, it does affect, you know, um, it affects how, how things are expressed. It's, um, and, and what lenses were allowed to to use in that expression of trauma if, if that makes sense i'm sorry i've lost my no it words. does it does it does it does completely um you know and thank you for sort of expressing it you know through your lens we really appreciate that so molly um do you think culture impacts how trauma is explored through art I think that culture really impacts everything, um, especially with art. You know, there's different uh, motifs and different colors, different ways of expressing things. And it's also different from wherever you come from, whatever background, you know, whether it be geographical, religious, um, whatever type of family you grew up in. There are different things that influence that. But um, it reminds me, I read this book very recently. It's um, called From Here to Eternity, uh, Traveling the World to Find the Good Death. And it was written by Caitlin Doughty. And she is a uh, mortician. And she's interested in finding different um, death practices throughout the world and kind of explaining them and giving people, you know, background on that. Because there's a lot of things that we don't know. And it's kind of this thing like trauma and, you know, grieving and everything that we don't really talk about, at least not in American culture. It's not really very present. And um, I was really struck by just how everyone has these common feelings, you know, of grief, the loss of a loved one, you know, the um, the experience of it and how we handle it. But um, it's all done so differently, depending on where you're from, what your beliefs are, what, um, you know, even within families, like being in a, you know, just a your regular nuclear family has its own little culture. And so I think that um, art is a byproduct of the culture that you grew up in, the culture that you um, create for yourself. And so I think that in certain cultures, it's 
more acceptable to talk about certain things and unacceptable to talk about others. And I, and it's no culture is without the things that you can talk about and the things that you can't talk about. There are things, you know, it, it, you have both. And so I think that culture is really a driving force of how we talk about things and how we experience things too. Like if you showed, um, if you showed a painting to people from two different cultures, there's a very real chance that you will get two different, completely different reads on something. And I think that's wonderful. And so that's when, you know, you look and see what was the artist trying to say. So, but I think that um, culture is very, it is vital to the discussion about both trauma and art. Well, thank you both for your valuable insights. You know, as somebody who's grown up in different cultures, you know, being a daughter of the East and the West, um, and a continuum between, and I've grown up in individualistic societies and having ethnically coming from communal society as well. Um, at times I do feel, and sometimes I feel there's a struggle in how do I express because one culture and one society that I come from, it's kind of, you know, it's all about the individual and empowerment and kind of feel free to express yourself. And, you know, there's no barriers, you know, you just take it at your own pace. And another culture that I'm in, it's kind of like, we'll see it from a community uh, lens, you know, be careful about what you're kind of sharing because we're in this together. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm just kind of paraphrasing them because it's the intricacies even intra-culturally within cultures, within ethnicities are so wide and it's like a maze. And sometimes it's just, it's like, well, what, what, what do I do? Because it even translates to things like eye contact, you know, because in, in, in some cultures it's it's considered a bit offensive to directly stare somebody in the eye because it's like, you know, I'm challenging you to something. Um, and in other cultures, well, it's a sign of openness to look someone in the eye. So I always have this thing where I just struggle with eye contact. And I, as a child to even now, you know, uh, I remember as a child when I was upset once at school, the teacher telling me, look me in the eye, and I just couldn't. I was just struggling, really struggling. And even now, sometimes either I'll, I'll look so deeply <laughs> into the eyes or I'll just will not look at all or I'll just don't know what to do with with it and 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 that for me is you know aside from other things it is also a cultural thing as well because I I I, I don't know like I don't, I don't know what what I should be doing at that moment in time from the various cultural influences that I have within myself you know um, a case of being am I too closed or am I too open and it's those dichotomies and I think the way personally it impacts my art is again that duality where I when I feel like I've been too vulnerable and I feel like I've been too open then suddenly I will close I will shut down like you know I might have a conversation with someone and then that's it I will just kind of like maybe shut myself off and not explain it, but expect them to understand. I, I value everything. I really care. I truly, deeply care. But this is how I'm processing it. And, you know, I will not reach out. You'll have to reach out to me because 
again, that duality comes into place where I feel like, okay, have I given too much of myself or have I said too much? Okay, you need to come to me and I'll open, you know, and open that door again. So I think it, it and it varies and it varies because it varies again on character as well, you know, where, um, you know, some, some people, regardless of being in an individualistic society, they've got siblings. Um, and, you know, Molly mentioned about the family, you know, they've got siblings, so they're able to see that communal aspect. Now, personally, from my perspective, I'm an only child, I don't have brothers or sisters, so some of those social cues are missing there. And 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 I don't, sometimes I verbalise it, but sometimes, I don't know if I have this expectation or reliance, but I just kind of think, please just, just reach out, because I'm not going to... <laughs> And I'm gonna find it so hard uh, because I, I I can't. It's maybe it's that pride or maybe it's that dignity that that sense of apparent dignity that I have that's just creating these walls. And I'll just keep creating the walls. You just need to reach out yourself. And I think, but it varies. That's my personal perspective. And I think you know even then that comes to the art. But it varies in on every on every human and and that's all right that's absolutely all right because we're human so um now moving on you know in terms of maybe looking towards the future or the present what does healing through trauma look like in art terry hmm you know it, i i think it goes back to being able to give voice for me. Um, and I think to have developed a vocabulary to present what needs to be voiced or recognized. And, um, you know, I, I go back to what Molly had said about art and experiencing it and the conversation. And um, when we were talking about the quote about uh, comforting the disturbed and disturbing the comfortable, um, I think I think what she had said about the conversation um, becomes poignant with this question. And um, so I would say thank you, Molly, for giving me some words <laughs> and something to think about. But I do think that it is about having that conversation we don't have to um create work that is um influenced or informed by trauma to shock and hurt and disturb it's it's about having that conversation about giving voice to it however that looks like so um so for me that's what that's what well that's exactly what happened when i created um the series about my family and my upbringing it, I created a conversation and developed the vocabulary through color and through what I was abstracting to express what I had lived through. And now it's up to you to go ahead and see what you want to see through it. And if you connect with my experience, that's great. You don't need to have another experience or connect on another level. That's fine, too. I'm OK with that. Um, absolutely, Terry. And I think, you know, it's that adult healing as well you know it's not a case of kind of like seeking to shop but kind of sometimes it's a very delicate or a very mundane form of healing which is fine you know because um as adults you know we can kind of uh shock absorb 
maybe the impact of the trauma that we've gone through and and in adulthood um there's this kind of maybe get, gaining that sense of balance um that trauma has kind of thrown off for us and centering and grounding ourselves and like you said you know perhaps that's through your series um whatever means that it takes so thank you for sharing that um what about yourself money who um i don't think you can necessarily see it i think what i don't think you can see the healing i think you can see the definition personally i think that um that's what you see you're putting it down and that is a very important part of the healing process if you can't name it you can't heal or if you can't find a way to um you know figure it out define then you can't heal from it so i think that that is it's that's the part that you see i think that um for me personally, the healing process has been, and it's something that I'm currently working through in the art because I know that um, I look back on my work through the past few years and I see that, um, I saw, and I see very rigid. I see very, I was trying to get things done and I was trying to, um, I had like, you know, every art professor I've ever had over my shoulder saying, okay, you do this, 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 and this, and, or uh, you need to focus on this and this constant critic. And this, you know, I'm a natural perfectionist. You wouldn't believe it to know what the state of the my room, but and, you know how messy it is, but I really truly am. And um I get obsessed over and that's one of the places where trauma, you know, that's where it stops and I have to walk away and I just can't get through it at the time. But I think that um yeah that's what that's it looks like definition. And so for me it's when I was doing these rigid things and as I've gotten, you know, I've worked through some concepts a bit more, I have gotten more specific in what I'm painting. I have gotten um more fluid with how you can see it in my brush strokes because you could see I noticed too um someone pointed out to me last year I was um participating in art market and I had you know some of my art out for display for purchase and someone came up to me and they said why don't you ever paint faces and that threw me for such a loop because it was about it was freezing it was um like I guess I think it was like, you know, like 18 degrees Fahrenheit. So that was below zero <laughs> Celsius. It was very, very cold. The winds were horrible. And I'm sitting out there miserable because it's so cold. And they're like, well, what, why don't you paint faces? And that just, I was like, I, I don't know. And I had to consider about um, why I didn't do it. And so, and for me, it was realizing, oh, it's afraid. It's literally, I like being afraid to face something. So um, oh. that, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's something, and um, I actually brought it up to someone. Else. I know, I know, because I never would have seen it myself unless someone's, and it was someone, you know, I never met them, and they were just passing. They're like, yeah, so why don't you do faces? And I would put things in places of faces, you know, flowers and things, and I never did faces. And I didn't, to that point, realize the trend. And so for me, it's been about painting. I'm right now, I'm painting a bunch of faces just to kind of um, get better at it. But also uh, accept that, like, you know, not everything is going to be an amazing masterpiece perfect. And so that's part of my healing process currently. And I'm, you know, it's not something that I don't think it's something that's ever going to stop. I think I'm going to keep seeing things in my work and in myself that I, you know, put onto the page and I keep trying to do. So I think that, yeah, defining is well. so what someone else happened to define it for me. But I then realized, hey, wait a minute. And I defined further myself and then I could sort of move on that's great wow. that's really great I don't paint faces um and specifically in this one series because 
it's not that I don't want to face things. I that was so powerful with you. you. That was so powerful. I'm still in awe of it. But I decided to remove and protect the innocence of what it was that I was portraying and wanted to give the viewers space to insert themselves. Oh, I love that. So that's so, brilliant. I really love that. Well, yours is equally as brilliant. I am just I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I love yours too. I think that's really for people to be able to relate to, not seeing the faces and they can see their own face. I think that is that's wonderful. I really do. And I think that's something that we automatically try to put ourselves in art sometimes. Yeah. I know I do it all the time. I walk in, I'm like, okay, where am I though? And <laughs> not all the time, but you know, I you walk through the museum, I'm like, I hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I can absolutely. see a bit of myself in there, maybe. But I, and so that's very, very cool that you do it for a completely different reason. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's nice because I think for both of us, we're coming around to the same objective. You know, we it, it meets at some point. Yes. Uh, absolutely, Amada, both of you. Uh, really interesting what you talked about perfectionism, Molly, because I can personally relate to that. And I don't know if it's a sense of, if it's because we've been out of control, whether that's through childhood, growing up or in adulthood, because of the trauma. Um, I don't know if it's a case of fear of making mistake or kind of, I know I used to have this, I call it the double checking syndrome, where I used to double check that I've, I've done it right. Like, is it okay? Like, is it all right? And that, and, and then kind of the perfectionism, not leaving that room for mistakes. And um, I wouldn't say it was out of fear um, because I've fallen, you know, we've, I, we've all fallen many times and, you know, gotten up again. I, I think it was just a sense of like, I'm going to be out of control. Who's going to be there for me with the ground? <laughs> you know, and I think, I Absolutely. think it was that. And I think, but when you have someone in your life that is there, I think after that, you can kind of let go of that perfectionism because you know that you're not alone. And I think perfectionism is very closely related, I personally feel, to solitude and loneliness as well. Because when you've only got yourself to rely on, it's a make or break situation. Whether it's just emotional support or just someone just kind of being there behind you, sort of saying, I've got you, you know, that makes a difference because it helps you internalize and realize well, as a human, I'm not alone because I don't think as human beings, we're supposed to have a solitary existence. You know, no man or a woman is an island unto themselves. Um, you know, we are not made like this. So and I think it's really interesting. I mean, there's other reasons for why people can be perfectionists and, you know, there's a whole research on it. I think personally, from my perspective, and maybe if that relates to you as well, Molly, is that sometimes, yes, it's that trauma-based response that you don't want to make a mistake, or maybe you feel like if you make a mistake, you're hurting somebody else, you know, so it's that protectionism as well, like you're trying to people by kind of getting things, everything right, and, you know, um, and it's kind of kind of learning, even when you're doing it in a solitary sense, that it's okay. It's all right. 
It's okay. The world is not going to fall apart. It's okay to make yes. a mistake. It's okay. Um, we're only human. And I think, again, that's a very adult realization. And it also comes with support as well. And and I think the support comes not from like, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm not a fan of like having structured support in the sense where it's kind of like placed there, you know, oh, here's a, here's a body for you, here's a friend for you, and they're going to, you know. I like the intrinsic, instinctual, natural connection where somebody can see you and they understand instinctively, you know, and you can understand them. And I think that makes a real difference. Even sometimes without words being spoken you have this understanding and you have this kind of I would say synchronization in a sense and that is beyond words you know and when that happens and I think that's very beautiful and I think when that happens that allows us to come out of this kind of, you know, do we have to be perfect all the time? Because I think when you come out of your perfectionism, I know certainly as an artist, when I come out of my perfectionism, my work has greater depth, my work has greater meaning, and I'm able, to, and it has a maturity to it as well, um, that I'm able to kind of safely explore, and then kind of, you know, in the artistic process, create the artwork that I want to create as opposed to you know I have a series of paintings that are unfinished and I keep going back to them I keep changing them thinking you know but it's changing it for the sake of changing and I think you know when we come out of this for myself when I come out of this sense of perfectionism I can allow myself to be who I am and then I can allow myself and give permission to myself to make the artwork that I want to make, um, which kind of leads on to this question, you know, um, as an artist, how would you identify the completion? Or I would say maybe the near completion, because I, I don't think it can ever be complete for anyone, the healing process, Terry. This is a good question too. <laughs> um, I don't think there, I agree. I don't think there is a completion to healing. I think um, much like the process of grief, it's ongoing, it's an ongoing work. Um, I think if we were to have an identifier or an identifying moment or whatever we wanna call it, I think it's acceptance. I think it's when we get to acceptance that um, that really healing kicks in. You know, this happened. This is how I felt. This is what I did, how I reacted. Um, but to leave it there, you know, to leave it, it to leave it there and to understand that, you know, yes, it happened. It shaped me, but I'm over here now. I'm I'm. I'm not at point A, I'm over at point B or C or D. I'm further down the road from it. And that, you know, yes, this happened, but it doesn't have to define me, you know, because my journey continues on. But 
it, it, it really is important to accept because um, otherwise we stay stuck. So I think ex getting to acceptance is when we know we're healing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Molly, what about yourself? Well, I think that, um, you know, like you said, I don't think we can define the completion. I think it's, um, and like Terry said, it's ongoing, but like she also said with um, acceptance, I think that's the closest thing we can do to get to like completing. I try not to define the healing process too much because it is something that I think is so fluid and so personal. And so I think it's just, and every day is so different because I think you can have, just because you, you know, you're up here and you're great for a while and then you backslide to here, that doesn't mean that you're not still healing. It's just, you're at a different place. And, you know, they have like, there's the popular five stages of grief and you don't go through them all like step one, step two, step three. That's not how it works. You are pinball in a machine going, bouncing all over the place. And some days you accept it, but then something else happens and you go right back to, you know, stage two. And um, so I try not to think of it in terms of like, the healing process, just something to be completed. I just think of it as just something that you go through. It's just a part of life. And as you are going through it, that's living and you are, you know, moving. I think just going forward is what maybe you could define it as that. I don't really know. I think it is so personal and so it's so intangible. I find it hard, except for like Terry said, with acceptance, I think that's a major component of it. If you could sum it up into something, I think acceptance is the best way right. of either this happened or accepting this is how I deal with something, or this is, you know, this is what my life looks like post this. I think that's as close as we can get to putting a kind of definition to it. Absolutely. I agree with you both. And I think I question this kind of maybe societal perception that you've got to be healed or completely healed to kind of, I don't know, move forward in your life. Well, you know, when I look at artists like Tracy Emin, who are fantastically successful, um, she's still exploring her trauma, you know, in various ways. And I think personally that it's that process, like Terry said, this is the point that I started at, this is where I moved on to. As long as we have a mature understanding and perspective of ourselves, you know, or how we're going to be able to manage it, I think that's fine. Because sometimes it's a good thing that you haven't healed completely because it allows other people to tap into you and you can heal together. And I keep saying, you know, I keep repeating this healing together. It's not a solitary process because trauma is not a solitary process. When you were traumatized, it wasn't done in a solitary manner. <laughs> you know, there was somebody traumatizing us or events that were traumatizing us, you know, and that it does, they do come through people, you know, through other humans. So the healing itself is not a solitary process either. And it doesn't have to be something so cold and clinical, uh, uh, you know, as just saying therapy in itself or, you know, going for counseling because. I've had counseling when I was a child, you know, uh, and, you know, sometimes it, and as a young adult, and it can feel like, can feel a bit cold, the process, um, you know, 
And it just kind of feels like, well, once that session stopped, they're not there anymore. So there's that abandoned feeling of abandonment and kind of being left, which I think re-traumatizes the person. So I think sometimes it's just a case of being human and, you know, and just kind of saying, well, let's do this together. We can do it. We can manage it. But how are we going to do it? And, and instinctively having that compassion, you know, understanding that, like Molly said, the days are going to be different, you know. You'll have your highs and you'll have your lows. You'll have your fantastic things that happen. Or you'll have things that will humble you, as is the process with everybody. But if we stop our lives and say, no, this person, they haven't fully healed, so they won't have access to this and the opportunity or moving forward in life. No, I think that's when you're really denying somebody, you know, their human existence. You're denying them the existence of being human simply because they've been through a traumatic process because as a society you've got these particular standards and sometimes I think you know like with Terry with the humor I think try going through this put yourself in my shoes go through it and then I'll see you know how you're going to deal with it and how you're going to heal with it and you know because we know ourselves nobody knows you better than you know your own self so you know what you can take on, you know what you can deal with, um, and you know how you can kind of, I, I I know when I need to stop and start and you know continue, I know that. And I can see it very clearly. And I think as individuals, we have, again, it's about having empowerment of our own narrative. And when it links to the healing process, it's equally important. Nobody should say, well, you need this amount of time to heal, and you can't do this. Nobody should have the right to say that because they are taking away the narrative from you. What they can say, though, is, well, these are the things. Can you deal with them? Can you cope with them? Do you feel like, you know, this is something that you can continue with? And then you have the autonomy and you yourself have the empowerment to kind of make that decision and choice and then be able to voice it. I think empowering our own narratives in the healing process is really important. Now, moving on to our final um, question, Terry, the role of the artist in helping others to heal through trauma? I don't know if it's the role of the artist to help others heal. I I don't know. I. This 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 perplexes me a little bit. I think it's the role of the human being to help others heal. And I think when it comes to healing, um, you know, of course, obviously we have tools we can work with as artists to manage and mitigate and go through. And, you know, um, we can show each other what we've done through our work or what we've experienced or how we've grown or come to acceptance. But I really think it's the role of the human being to, you know, to remember that we're, we're in this human family together and to recognize that maybe all of us are just a little bit broken and that's okay. You know, I'm, I look at people or in my life, you know, I'm often reminded of that beautiful Japanese art of 
fixing the broken porcelain with a little bit of gold, you know? And I think if we all maybe stopped everything, the politics, the ideologies, and all of that, and just sat back and looked at each other as these beautiful, these beautiful souls of porcelain with, you know, our fractures mended with gold or silver or whatever metals, you know, to create this new and magnificent piece. If we were able to just do that, you know, I think then, then we can go on and help each other heal. But I really do think it's up to the human beings. You know, that moment of, I see you, you see me, we're in this same human family. You know, like you said, we're in it together. We shouldn't view it any other way. I mean, that's all there is, us, the human family. Absolutely beautiful. Um, Molly, what about yourself? Um, I don't think the role, I don't think the artist has a role in helping healing others. I think the artist, I think the one true job of the artist is to be authentic. I think it is to be authentic to yourself, to your work, to who you are. And I think by people pick up on that and that helps. So it's kind of like a ripple effect by you doing something, saying something, making something happen. Other people can find comfort. They can find a way to understand their own feelings, the way, find ways to heal. But, um, and also I think as a viewer, you know, I don't, I look to art to maybe find things um, and put my feelings into something that I can digest, something that I can understand. Like I really um, gravitate towards Francis Bacon's work because it's deeply like the psychological, semi-abstract, but figurative and very, um, you know, the colors are very, very bold and it's very grabbing. And it there's a certain sense of when I look at a Francis Bacon, the reason why he's my favorite is because when I look at a Francis Bacon piece, I am in the room with him. He's with me looking at it and I can tell and that is because he was authentic with what he made and so I think that is what our responsibility is and so it ends up helping people which is wonderful but I think that we I think the importance of you know being human and part of the human family is to maybe be supportive of each other like Terry said and to connect and to be open and maybe even just listen to people sometimes you maybe don't have to agree but be respectful and listen but otherwise, I think the best thing that we as artists can do, not only for ourselves, just but for the world and people, is to be authentic. I think that's the whole point of it. Absolutely. Um, I agree with both of you on that, you know, that authenticity, and I value and respect your perspectives. Um, personally, for me, I think in terms, as an artist, I do feel this sense of... Um, responsibility um, to help others to heal um, but I think that comes as an individual character that's not something that I do it out of a sense of duty that's just me as a person I think it helps me heal when I help others heal whether that that's through my work as an art or whether that's through me as a person um, I don't see it personally as a burden I see it as a gift in the sense that when I'm able to connect where, or when people are able to come to me and, you know, be open about things, um, I, I, I see it as a sign of huge respect and this human connection. And I think it allows internally myself to heal um, when kind of, you know, 
um, reaching out to others. Now, different people have different perspectives. It's my own outlook. Um, and I think art in itself, um, when we engage with it, when we sort of explore it, um, we kind of pick out our own um, meanings and perspectives and we carve out our own paths. And that, again, helps this connection in terms of moving forward, like we touched upon this um, um, theme of Molly saying authenticity, being an authentic human, and Terry talking about the human family. Um, so in that way, we move forward. Thank you very much, both of you, for the panel discussion on exploring trauma through art. We've um, concluded it now. Um, and I'm very grateful. Um, if you have any closing uh, remarks to make, Terry, we'll start with you. I just want to thank you for the opportunity, Anam. This was a lovely conversation. And Molly, I, I love your work. <laughs> and we you, should thank connect. you. I love yours too. Yes, we're absolutely. Oh, after this, we're we're best friends. Don't worry about it. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Anam, you have done a wonderful job hooking us up. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful.